0: This is Ultra Running History Podcast, and I'm your host, Davey Crockett. Thanks. This episode is going to cover Ultra Running events in the past that have tried to answer a burning question Can a human run faster and further than a horse? I'll cover the history of attempts to answer this question, and I'll highlight a forgotten race in Utah, in my neck of the woods. A 157 mile man versus horse race held back in 1957 and also in 1958, just a few days before I was born. (laughs) Yes, it is time for the horse story. For more than a century, people have debated if humans on foot could beat horses. Those on the side of humans argued that over a long enough distance, humans could outrun horses. So to prove this point, ultra-distance races billed as man versus horse have been competed as early as 1879, but it was a 157-mile man versus horse race held in Utah in 1957-58 that captured the attention of America and beyond. Remember that the full article on ultrarunninghistory.com has many historic pictures and far more details, so you'll want to check that out. In 1879, two of the greatest pedestrians in history, Edward Payson Weston and Daniel O'Leary, speculated how man would do against a horse in a six day event. O'Leary believed that horses would win, and Weston was on the side of the humans. To settle the debate, A race was held in San Francisco in 1879 with seven men against 11 horses on a track in a pavilion. A horse named Pinafore won with 557 miles, but there was no truly elite runners or walkers, pedestrians in the event. Weston was still unconvinced, so O'Leary put on another six-day event in Chicago in 1880. It was held in a tent on the lake shore, and 15 men, five horses, competed. There was a crowd of 4,000 spectators on hand for the first day. On the last day, the leading horse, Speculator, had pulled into the lead, but sadly, while taking a rest, he died. The leading runner, Michael Byrne, began to bleed at his nose and fell down in a fainting fit, and was carried away amidst a chorus of ohs from the ladies. It took a half hour to revive him. The new leading horse was a black mare named Betsy Baker. She, quote, failed to respond to the whip, and then went in for two hours before she could come out again. She finally responded to a dose of champagne, but after that, she could do no more than a slow walk. The runner, Byrne won covering 578 miles and Betsy Baker finished in second with 563 miles. So a pretty close race. Edward Sears in his book Running Through the Ages concluded about this race. He said, the race did not prove men could always beat horses at multi-day racing, but it did show that horses were prone to drop dead (laughs) from exhaustion or overheating in long races where healthy humans were not. After the event, the Illinois Humane Society caused the arrest of five men on a charge of cruelty to animals. In 1929, at Philadelphia, another six-day race was conducted. The race was held at the Philadelphia Arena with five two-men teams and the same number of horse teams that ran alternate hours. So it was a kind of a relay. In the end, two teams of men beat the horses, and the winning team reached 523 miles. 13 ahead of the horses. Well, later in the 1900s, P.T. Barnum of circus fame would stage a man-against-horse race under the big top. They'd construct a 350-yard course around the rings, and it was pretty much a staged act. Two runners drew straws to see who would win in that event, and the rider would make sure that he slowed the horse by the finish. A really interesting race, in 1936 at Havana, Cuba, Olympic champion Jesse Owens ran against a horse in a 100-yard dash. Well, actually, the horse had to run 140 yards and Owens just 100. Owens ran in 9.9 seconds and won by about 15 to 20 yards. And there's a YouTube video about it. Here it is. Cuba. Jesse owns the ebony streak of Olympic games, celebrates turning professional by racing against a horse. Jesse had a start of forty yards in a hundred, and he won by inches. In 1943, a 24-hour event was held in southeastern Utah between the towns of Blanding and Bluff near the Four Corners region. Many bets were taken, but it wasn't even close. The horse covered an impressive 140 miles, but the runner only reached 60 miles. In 1957, the entire country turned its attention to rural Utah to follow a contest between two men and two horses going from downtown Salt Lake City to the rural ranching oil town of Roosevelt in eastern Utah for a distance of about 157 miles. The runners chosen for this race were elite college distance runners on the Brigham Young University track team. They were Albert Ray and Terry Jensen. Even though Ray had never run ultra-distance, he naively was confident and said, I think we'll beat them. The asphalt will be murder on the horse's feet. The riders were Roy Hatch, a rancher, and Ray Hall, an oil worker, both of Roosevelt. TV and radio stations were contacted about the event, putting the little town of Roosevelt on the nation's map, and stories were published in newspapers as far away as Venezuela and Panama. The race started in downtown Salt Lake City on November 15, 1957. The contestants first paraded through downtown for five blocks, where a ribbon was cut by the city mayor, and the sheriff fired a gun to officially start the race. Jeeps pulling trailers were provided as crew vehicles, Light snow fell, and the forecast for this race was snowy weather, and that would have, be a major factor. After about two hours, they were in nearby Sandy. The runners were about a mile and a half ahead of the horses. Going further that night, runner Jensen dropped out about the 55-mile mark along the Deer Creek Reservoir at Provo Canyon due to a tight leg tendon. The other runner, Ray, slept for about two two and a half hours during the early morning at about the 70-mile mark in Heber City, and he was said to be in excellent condition. The horses had the lead, and they did stop to be reshooed. Ray tried various shoes to help his feet. One pair of shoes had been developed for paratroopers to, quote, lessen the shock of hitting the ground. Ray reached the 100-mile mark in about 35 hours, Coach Robinson ran along pacing him at times during the second night. At about mile 110, Ray gave up the race because he was hobbling on swollen ankles. He was clearly undertrained for ultra distances. He said, quote, I caught up with the horses at Current Creek and felt fine except for my feet and ankles. I was forced to quit because the doctors were afraid that blood poisoning was starting to develop in the legs. Ray was later taken to the hospital in Roosevelt and then transferred to the BYU Health Center and treated for his swollen ankles for several days. The two horses, ridden by Hatch and Hall, went on together, eventually trotting down the main street in Roosevelt and broke a ribbon that stretched across an intersection to the cheers of more than 6,000 people. They finished in a very slow time of 57 hours and 15 minutes. Their actual riding time, though, was 32 hours 15 minutes, so the horses took lots of long rests. At times, their horses were so exhausted that they refused to eat. A few months later, in 1958, a Utah editorial was critical of the race and the plans for a second race that year. It read, The man versus horse race is a nice publicity stunt, However, over the Salt Lake to Roosevelt course, it proves little, except that both horse and man get lame pounding the pavement roads. The next event was planned for July 22, 1958. 35 runners applied to participate. Three were selected. The runners were all professional ultra-distance runners. First, there was Paul Hardrock Simpson, a mailman from Burlington, North Carolina, Simpson was a 1929 Bunyan Derby finisher, which was a transcontinental race. He also raced against a horse in 1927 and won. Also running was Ito Ragmanoli, a New York City policeman. And the final runner in the threesome was the famous one-armed runner Roy McMurdy of Tucson, Arizona, who had walked the Padre Island Walkathon in Texas and in 1922, he rode a bicycle from Indianapolis to Los Angeles in 20 days. The horsemen were Willis Jacobson, Keith Bastian, and University of Utah student Stuart Pollock. A masked mystery rider known as The Bat, who wasn't entered in the race, showed up at the start. He was clothed in a black flowing robe and cloth helmet. See the article for a picture of him. The bat rode up on a cow pony painted with white circles. He was an unwelcome participant and the race organizer said When he gets to Roosevelt, we'll rip that mask right off. The bat didn't say a word at the start. Runner Romanoli led the race for the first few hours, but then was overtaken by the bat. A kid, Val Sharp, on a long distance bike also joined the procession just south of salt lake city and tagged along for another 50 miles before pooping out at heber mcmurdy made it to about mile 25 dropping out three miles north of lehi he said i had cramps in my legs and they seemed to get worse all the time this will be my last run at 62 i think i'm just a bit too old in orem hardrock simpson's escort jeep missed the turn toward Provo Canyon and led him four miles out of his way into Provo. When the mistake was discovered, the Jeep driver tried to convince Simpson to take a ride back to the missed turn, but Simpson refused to take a ride and ran back to the mistake point, running a total of eight bonus miles. It was 90 degrees as they made their way up Provo Canyon, scattered across 10 miles. At Heber, there were about 3,000 spectators cheering the racers. That evening, Romagnoli took a two-hour rest stop in Heber. He vowed, quote, I'll go on till I fall on my face. He was treated like a hero through all the towns along the race route. When he stopped at a cafe in Heber for two glasses of water, everyone rose and applauded as he entered. The bat dropped out about mile 85 at Strawberry Reservoir. His horse was exhausted and it refused to go further. The bat was later identified as Kenneth Higley of Salt Lake City. He was a World War II veteran pilot with a wife and several children. Rider Pollock took over the lead on his horse Dodger. When Romagnoli reached the high point of the course, 8,000-foot Daniel's Summit near Strawberry Reservoir, there were no hot drinks there as he expected, and he chilled for the rest of the night. He said... Even though it was all downhill ahead, my legs were chilled and aching, and I couldn't run. Roel Magnoli, far ahead of the other runners, made it down from Strawberry and hit the 100-mile mark at 21 hours, 22 minutes, which at that time was the fastest known time for 100 miles in the modern post-war American ultra-running era. He continued on, and about 6 a.m., when he caught up to the leading horse, he was treated to a hot bath. A small cup of blood was drawn from blood blisters beneath two toenails. He later also lost a total of six toenails. The bath seemed to hurt more than help because it drained his remaining strength. He said, I could feel it coming and knew after two miles I didn't have any bounce and wouldn't be able to finish. He dropped out about mile 118 because of severe cramping and at the recommendation of a doctor. At the time, he was only about two miles behind the leading horse which was Pollock on Dodger and he was also well ahead of the other remaining horse and runner in the race but he just couldn't go on for the last 20 miles of the race driving rain pounded the leader Pollock on Dodger it was the first rain in that area for about two and a half months When Pollock entered the little town of Roosevelt, he was greeted to the cheers of about 2,000 people. He and Dodger finished in 29 hours, 33 minutes, beating the remaining runner, Hard Rock Simpson, by 57 miles. Pollock reported that he had stiff legs and was eager to get into dry clothes. He said that Dodger trotted about 90% of the time. Race organizer Whitlock proclaimed horses have proven for the second time in less than a year that man is no match in a long race. The race director decided that Utah's man versus horse race would no longer be held, that horses had proven the debate. After Pollock finished, Simpson at mile 100 was told that the race was over and that he needed to stop. Simpson vowed he wouldn't quit until he reached Roosevelt. Officials ordered the removal of his escort jeep and finally declared the race was finished. But Simpson continued to run, with his wife driving along in a station wagon. A few hours later, as evening arrived, Simpson decided to quit after reaching 118 miles, stopping at the same point that Romagnoli had reached. Rider Willis Jacobson also continued on. He managed to finish at Roosevelt during the night about 10 hours after Pollock for about 39 hours. A few weeks later, Ido Romagnoli was on the TV program to tell the truth to pick the right person who ran against the horses. Here are some excerpts. He was contestant number one. All right, panel. Let's meet our third team of challengers. What is your name, please? My name is Ido Romagnoli. I, Ido Romanoli, am a New York City policeman. I am also a distance runner. In the past few years, I have won a number of marathon championships. Last week, I ran in the longest race of my career, 157 miles. There were seven runners competing in the race. Three of them were men, and the other four were horses, signed Ido Romanoli. All right, panel, these gentlemen all claim to be Ido Romanoli, as you heard. Marathon runner, policeman. We start this round with Polly Bergen. Polly, thank you, buddy. Number one, um, who won? You were the horse. Well, let's see. When I stopped after 118 miles, uh, I was ahead of two horses who I quit completely. Two men were far out distance. I was ahead of uh, 15 miles ahead of the third horse, and I was about two miles behind the horse that eventually won. <laughs> <laughs> number two, uh, do, 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 it said that you ran uh, uh, 157 miles, do you get to stop at all during that time? Well, yes, I stopped three times, actually. They allow you then no, to have a slight must rest. There any time in between. Oh, I see. Uh, number three, where was the race located? In uh, Salt Lake City, that's where it started. In Salt Lake City, where did it terminate? In uh, Roosevelt, Utah. In? number one do the horses have to assume a kneeling starting position <laughs> <laughs> nah, everybody took off on a standing side <laughs> the answer is nay nay oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> you bet on horses and no, i bet on myself this time <laughs> well, uh, number three in this place for the horses were you the favorite no i was the dark horse <laughs> Were the horses being land, or were they ridden, or how did they get 118 miles by Well, uh, the horses had a riot, oh. and uh, they had, like, trailers in front of them that uh, they could stop whenever they wanted That's it. I'm once again the boat. So will you please mark your ballot? In 1960, in Missoula, Montana, again, a college track star, Bill Anderson, raced against a horse on a 72-mile course. Anderson was overconfident and undertrained. Boasted, quote, "'72 miles actually isn't a long distance for a man, "'but I seriously doubt if a horse can finish.'" He predicted that he would win in about 12 hours. Anderson was speedy for the first 16 miles, but then faded badly as a long hill appeared, only lasting 37 miles. The horse went on to finish the 72 miles in 12 hours, 20 minutes." In more recent times, man versus horse for ultra distances have more or less run its course, as there is more attention put into caring for horses in endurance events. There still are such races at shorter distances. For example, in 1980, the man versus horse marathon was established in Wales, with a distance of about 24 miles and more than 4,500 feet of climbing. It is still held today, and there have only been two human champions. With all this information, has the debate been settled for this matter? No, I don't think so. (laughs) With that, this is Davy Crockett, and this is the Ultra Running History Podcast. I hope you run fast and far, enjoy life, get outdoors, and most of all, stay safe and don't take unnecessary chances.